Hello, welcome to episode of First Time Dads. I'm Steve Mile. And I'm Richard Innes. And in this episode, we are joined by Dr. Lucy Maddox, a consultant clinical psychologist. So clearly um, someone who knows exactly what she's talking about. She's here specifically today to talk to us about her new book, Blueprint, How, a ch- How Our Childhood Makes Us Who We Are. So, Lucy, I suppose um, the clue's in the Welcome. title, really. Welcome, Thank for you. starters. Thank you for having me. But I suppose the, the, the clue is in the title of the book, really, in terms of how and why um, this is hopefully relevant to, to Steve and I and any, any first-time dads out there. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, the book's basically a kind of um, whistle-stop tour of lots of different aspects of child development that I think people should know about. So mm-hmm. the really juicy, classic experiments that... Um, help to tell us how our childhood makes us who we are Uh, but also the book's very much not saying that everything's set in stone so there are things that we can do to to change things if if we've had a tricky experience as a child because I think the thing that made it made it particularly interesting when Steve and I heard about your book and we were talking about it before was the idea that I know personally I constantly have that thought oh hang on I've done something there in front of Ben in front of my son or I've raised my voice or I've lost my temper or whatever it might be you know classic dad stuff and you think oh god have I scarred him for life you know that's or is that going to you know is he going to be sitting with a therapist in 25 years time talking about god I have this horrible memory of my dad shouting at me all all these things which I think hang around for a lot of dads you tell tell us Lucy but I suspect there's a spectrum of damage that can be caused from a child that sees their mum killed in front of them through to Rich throwing his proverbial toys out of the pram in front (laughs) of Ben. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And I think even, I mean, even the word damage is sort of quite a harsh one in some ways. So I I have quite a hopeful uh, point of view in that I think even if really horrible things happen to us when we're young, there's actually a lot of research on the resilience that children can have and also the positive effects that just one uh, strong relationship doesn't have to be with your primary caregiver um, can have. So there's, there's hope, really. Mm-hmm. There's hope people aren't necessarily sort of damaged forever. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's a massive difference, I would say, between kind of thinking about real childhood trauma mm-hmm. and thinking about um, you know you being worried about shouting in front of your child. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the very fact that you're worried about that suggests that you know you're probably doing a great job. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I think is really tricky about parenting is that it's really easy to beat yourself up about what you're doing or not doing and there's so much advice around about it all that it just causes massive stress mm. the, the pressure of that is extraordinary it's I always find it's, it's bizarre it's almost like everything is kind of set up for this almost competitive element of parenting of like, oh, our child's not doing this or our child should be doing that or we should be doing this or we should and there's all these we should have we should mm. we should we should we should we should and it's um it can get a little bit overwhelming at times i think that's such an important point and mm. actually there's a chapter about milestones in the book because milestones there's so many mm. apps and kind of more oh, charts yeah, yeah, and stuff yeah, now yeah, aren't yeah, there exactly. about yeah. even, one, even one of the years where it's called yeah. we've got the one we should be doing this and yeah. your child will be or they don't even say your child because you put the name of the child it's like Jackson oh, will be <laughs> this week yeah. and there's like a little thundercloud if he's going for a tricky patch okay. or a bright sunshine if he's going to be and it doesn't match up of course it doesn't it's I like I say it's like horoscopes you can read it and find what you want to find in that Sure. And, and you know, clinically, milestones can be really helpful. So if I was doing a clinical assessment of a child and kind of checking that they were developing in a way that we would expect, I'd check for lots and lots of different milestones. And if lots and lots of milestones were out, then I might think, does this child need some extra support? Is there something else going on here? But 
but usually for all of us you know we might hit some milestones at the kind of normal age Mm -hmm. and we might not hit others and even as an adult if you think about the milestones that we all get held up to you know are you married are you have you got Mm. children there's lots Mm. of expectations that when you get to a certain age you'll be doing certain things but actually there's lots of different ways to live a life and my objection to it i think is always that the implication is that all children are the same Mm. and that's always my great objection is the idea that when you like steve says when you look at these apps at 10 months your child will be there's not even any kind of ambiguity in that (laughs) your child will be doing this well hang on my child is not doing that yeah uh and he might be doing that in a month's time or in two weeks time or he might have have done it a month before but this this the implication there is that every child has the same template to work to Mm. now again you'll know far more about the science behind this than steve or i but that seems to me to be complete nonsense Mm. surely every every kid is different that's kind Mm. of the joy of yeah what do we actually factually know about when things that happen to a child start to kick in to have knock-on effects I mean is it from birth or how old does a child become before Mm. it starts to uh, external influences start to have a knock-on effect whether they be positive or negative Mm. what do we know about that well, actually, the research is fascinating because it shows that even before you're born, there are huge effects of um, what happened to you in the womb, in fact. So, you know, some of the most obvious are things like uh, if your mum has used drugs or alcohol mm-hmm. to a large degree when you're in the womb. So that's quite a kind of, um, that's one end of the spectrum. But even uh, mums being stressed when they're pregnant can have a really big effect actually so one thing that dads can do to really really help is just to do everything they can to minimise the stress it's a bit late my wife needs <laughs> to give birth in the next three weeks not <laughs> three weeks I think yeah, zen, zen Buddhism comes to <laughs> our house in South London is that, so is, that the, is it cortisol that's the stress yeah. hormone is cortisol right? is the stress hormone yeah. but it, you know weirdly we don't quite know how it works so the biology on this is quite complicated and I interviewed someone called uh, Professor Vivette Glover for the chapter on this and she talks us through it in quite a lot of detail and it is really biological but we don't we don't fully understand the mechanisms by which it works but mums who are stressed later on their children are sort of they're twice as likely to experience childhood mental health problems having said that it's quite a small degree of difference so it's difference between six percent and twelve percent that the research shows Mm. so it's it's not a kind of massive difference but it is significant Mm. and I guess it just shows us how important it is to be for all of us as a society really to be looking after mums and dads Mm. you know because it's a really hard time isn't it and I think unfortunately a lot of the advice that gets kind of bandied around about you know have a glass of wine don't have a glass of wine you know you should be doing x y and z talking to the bump not talking Mm. to the bump all these different things can produce the very opposite of what's good for mums and for the fetus which is you know producing a a quite a stressful environment really Mm. yeah absolutely because again it does seem to add to that pressure that that that's immediate where I went and this may say more about me than anything else but where I went to when you said that was my good god like you know even in the fetal stage you can be having a negative impact on your child or a positive one or a positive 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 like I said that probably does say an awful lot about me no I think it's the pressure of it there as well the huge pressure people are under yeah I mean in terms of because I appreciate there will be there will be all sorts of research around perhaps the more extreme cases you know mm. children who have been born to, to mothers who were drug, had drug addictions or mm. uh, children who are right you, you know in their early years raised in extremely traumatic um, environments but in terms of 
you know, the the, the average day to day. If I if I may call Steve and I sort of average dads, I suppose I suppose we're in quite conventional. I think we're exceptional dads. <laughs> 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 yourself. No, yeah, sorry, I, don't, I do beg your pardon. But in terms of you know, sort of quite conventional family setups and that kind of thing, um, are there is there a lot of evidence and research that the way you parent or kind of particular decisions that parents can make at an early age can really have that lasting impact on a, on a human? So most of the research is more about not kind of particular decisions, which I think is helpful because, again, decision-making is quite tricky, isn't mm-hmm. it? Sometimes the weight Always. of a big decision can, you know, give you sleepless nights and which way do I go? And yeah. often, actually, it kind of doesn't matter and it'll work out either way. But... Um, the research is really on on this thing called attachment, which also gets talked about a lot, mm-hmm. I think, now. Um, but this kind of really strong relationship between a baby and its primary caregivers. Mm-hmm. So not just one caregiver can be more yep. than one. Um, in fact, in Israeli kibbutzes, for example, there's you know loads of different caregivers and the baby's attached to all of them. Um, but this kind of connection that you have is, is really important. And... Uh, the stuff that builds that, if you like, is mm. attuned parenting and sensitive enough parenting. So recognising what the child needs and kind of mirroring that back to them in a kind of contained way and then meeting that need as well. Um, so it, it might be even recognising what emotion the child is feeling and helping them to learn to label it and, and then to learn to kind of soothe themselves with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as long as you do that, I think the research shows about kind of 60% of the time, if your parenting is attuned about 60% of the time, then that's kind of good enough. Mm. So again, it's really good important. Enough, that's that the phrase. It's yeah. really important. That's a phrase from this guy, Winnicott, who yeah. you know wrote about good enough parenting ages ago. Um, I'm a big fan of that. I think <laughs> it's really important, isn't yeah. it? Because to sort of let yourself off the hook as well, because the more you get stressed about, am I doing a good enough job? the more you're worrying about that and the less likely you are to connect with actually mm. your child's experience. Because mm. in, in, in any other walk of life, the idea that 100% is the only acceptable mm. test result... It's impossible. ...is nonsense. Actually, is you know, like you would say, well, actually, if you were doing, if you were making the right calls 60%, 70% of the time, you'd say, in any other walk of life, you'd say, yeah, that's not a bad well ratio. Done, that's that's a pretty good percentage. <laughs> yeah. um, but in, somehow in parenting, it's got to be all or nothing, isn't it? Yeah. Could you give us any real-life examples, then, that you can you might have come across of attuned parenting kind of like common examples of how that would actually manifest itself in terms yeah of sure because it's a bit jargony isn't it yeah I mean it's as simple as say a child is getting really upset because they've um, perhaps their toy has fallen out of their um, pram mm-hmm. they've lost they can't see it anymore uh, and they're kind of crying it might be as simple as kind of noticing that and saying back to the child, you know, oh, you're upset because your toy has fallen out of the pram and here you are, you know, here's the toy back. Or even it might be at an older age, kind of, if a child's not sure what emotion they're feeling or not mm. sure what's going on, really trying to talk through with the child and understand what it is that, that yes. is going wrong. Yeah, so you're encouraging yeah, them to identify it, essentially. Yeah, and, and for young children, they won't be able to recognise that themselves. So you know, there's this uh, sort of language called motherese, it's called, I suppose you could have fatherese, okay. like, yeah. yeah. equal parentese, yeah. 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 And it's the idea that we kind of talk, we tend to talk to babies in this quite sing-song way. Yes. We tend to say, oh, you're looking so sad. Oh, yeah. you're looking so sad. Oh, what's wrong? Yeah. And it's kind of ridiculous when you do it yeah. to an adult, mm-hmm. but it kind of really helps with the child, and it's this kind of mirroring back you you tend to mirror back the facial expression as well of the child but in a safe way so you're not kind of if the child's really upset you're not looking really really upset yourself because that's quite scary Mm. but Mm. kind of upset enough that you're sort of mirroring it back 
and that's really containing for the child. Uh, and, and, and I guess when the baby smiles at you, you smile back at the baby yeah. to reassure, reinforce yeah. that yeah. happy... Making eye contact, sort of noticing their facial expression, all of those things. And they sound basic, you know, but actually if you're busy and stressed, that's the sort of thing that might slip well, a little bit. But also if you are experiencing difficulties yourself, mm. for example, with your own mental mm. health sometimes, you know, that might be trickier as well. Well, it's interesting because Rich and I, are, you know, we're first time dads. So we've come, we're coming at it from a point of view where we've got one child and that's been, our, the, our little boys have been our focus. As, a, as I said to you, you know, my wife's expecting our second child in the next three weeks. And suddenly the, the level of attention that I'm thinking I'll be able to give to the second one won't be the same mm. as I was able to give to the first yeah, one. Just realistically, because yeah. realistically, yeah. I'm going to be split. But this idea of attuned parenting means that, okay, right, so there's some focus there that I can pick up those points and go, in, in those circumstances, right, I need to get some attuned parenting mm. time. And, and if that those, those things you described happen, then you go, right, okay, I can... I can get, I can understand that there's a benefit to that. It's not just being what what is natural. Mm. It's right. Okay, well, that's a specific mm. tools, if you like. That and that help. connection, I think, is mm. really important. So it's not just because uh, it's it sort of uh, you know years and years ago. Well, actually, not so many years ago, but it used to be thought that the key elements to parenting were kind of putting a roof over the head and feeding a child and making sure all their basic physical needs were met. But then actually a sort of huge wave of research showed that this connection is really, really vital, actually. So, um, And some of that stuff comes from um, animal research. Some of it's quite grisly and some of it's quite nice. Mm. Um, <laughs> you know, really showing the importance, though, of, of that basic connection. And if you don't have that, that's that's what kind of can make you feel well, quite what would the animal research on. be, then, that... that shows well there's some there's without a, getting there's too, a, too in depth I suppose but sure yeah. no there's a lovely um, there's a bit of research about a phenomenon called imprinting which um, a guy called Lorenz did with some grey lag geese so he kind of raised these geese mm. from when they were hatched and what he noticed was that there's this critical period with grey lag geese where if you look after them at that really young age they kind of sort of imprint on you as if they're as if you are their, their mum as if you are their primary caregiver so there's these amazing videos and photographs they're on youtube actually if people are interested you can look up lorenz and geese and you can see he's kind of being followed around by these geese and swimming with them and it's like he's the parent yes um Mm. so that kind of got psychologists thinking and there's also a this is the more grisly one an experiment from uh harry harlow in the states which i don't think they'd get ethics for today where he took baby monkeys away from their mums and he gave them the choice of either being able to uh, be with a wire model of a monkey which had a bottle of milk or a terry toweling covered model of a monkey which didn't have any milk and all of the baby monkeys hung on to the soft mum for kind of comfort and then hopped across to the wire one for milk. So this sort of started Mm, to suggest that actually the primary drive isn't food because if it was, they'd stay with the wire monkey. That's interesting. That's interesting from what we know about the bond that children have with mum and there's an assumption that the bond is created because the mum is the feeder. Not that that might not be the case. I mean, we, mm. we, we've had a conversation with somebody, I think, on, on the podcast where we spoke about the idea that this relationship that the child has with mum is because they're with mum for nine months before they're even in 
in the world mm. there's there's a, a familiarity to sound of the mum's voice in a way that there's not with dad mm. and mum's routine in a way that there's not with dad because of this nine month period but by the sounds of it once they're out in the world baby is all to play for mm. if, if, if that's the right phrase I think that's true and I know people have different ideas on yeah, this yeah, yeah. Um, but I certainly think you know certainly the stuff from Israeli kibbutzes sort of shows that you can have attachments really strong attachments with with multiple caregivers you can they babies there are passed mm. around and looked after by lots of different people actually mm. so I think sometimes it can be a bit of a vicious circle where if we say to dads oh they will have a better connection with their mums mm. it might put dads off looking after the babies much yeah. and then it's harder to spot the cues because you're not with them as much and yeah. so and it kind of keeps going and I wouldn't want to beat dads over a head with a stick about this but there's a it's, an, it's a get out if you want to get out of that close time you can say well you know there's not much I can do because I can't breastfeed it, it's an it's an easy thing to say in, in terms of you know there's been a lot of talk recently on in the news about shared parental leave mm. and there was a guy on the host on the radio the other day saying well I didn't you know I'm not going to take the first three months because you know needs to, needs to be breastfed by, by mum there's no point in you being there as well. you know, it's interesting what you say in, in relation that might not necessarily be quite as clear cut as, mm. as perhaps society accepts mm. that it that it is at the moment and it's but, tricky isn't it because obviously with breastfeeding as well you know if not everyone can breastfeed and no, then you know no. it's, it's again I just think there's all sorts of ways of doing this mm. and although you know, breastfeeding is you know really yeah. um, important but at the same time if it's not possible it's not the end yeah no, no 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 mm. absolutely yeah. not absolutely not um, there's there's some stuff that when I uh, when I became a dad somebody said to me um in passing well you know there's nothing you can do until they get to about three then you know, <laughs> yeah. wow if only uh, and, um, they're not really they're not really interesting uh, but then i'd read that the time that you spend with your uh, child when they're very young you don't necessarily get the benefit as a dad until you know there may be three or four but that time you spent because you understand them better you've spent time with them, means that when they're older you've got a bond rather than trying to create the bond when they're four by which point a lot of their life's passed and a lot mm. of their I don't know whether there's anything I do think the earlier yeah. the better and because you know again going to a different extreme but with the studies of maltreatment it suggests that if you can um, if you can get the child to a kind of safe and secure place earlier they do better so if you can kind of get them to a safe and secure environment before they're about two they, ha they have a much m much kind of better trajectory mm. usually than if they're, they're left in that abusive situation for longer so the, the connections mm. you form in those early years are really really important and I think for you as well because you know the sense of connection and the mm. sort of feeling you get from that I think is really I suppose it comes back to the attuned parenting thing which I'm really interested in because I, I, my boy Ben, he's just turned one. He was one the other day. It's his first birthday, and um, I'm now at that point where there are times that, for instance, we took him up to Scotland recently to meet loads of his extended family. My family is Scottish, and um, there were times when he was in a room with my aunts and uncles or my cousins and people he didn't necessarily know, and you could sense with him as he was crawling around, and he was kind of looking to me for reassurance. So it was that idea of, you know, mm. my aunt wanted to pick him up and give him a cuddle. And you could actually see him looking around for me and my wife. 
his mum or his dad and then me sort of smiling and kind of, you know trying to kind yeah. of give that positive like, oh, no, it's good, it's good. and he's like oh okay and it was almost you could see him waiting for that is this okay yes it's okay son on your go mm. right, that's okay. such a nice example and you could of see being it. a secure base as well you're being a yeah. secure base for him and mm. you're al- allowing him to be independent so yeah. it's not that kind of attachment means that people can't explore it's actually needed in order for children yeah. to be able yeah. to be more yeah. independent it's almost like it's deceptive in the t- the, the title attachment parent makes, makes it sound like they're attached to you mm. but it's not it's mm. their it's their confidence to be unattached and I suppose what I'm talking about is not because there's a whole other literature around attachment parenting yeah. and that's sort of a bit different from okay. what I'm talking about which is just the the research on attachment which okay. some of that stuff's based on yeah sure. the other thing I wanted to ask you about attuned parenting because I, I've I, that's the, this is the first time I've heard that particular term but I think it is an example of it is that idea of when your child's upset, so let's say, you, ch- you know, let, let's say Ben at the moment, he's trying to learn the walk, so he's constantly falling over and bashing his head, he's got bruises and oh, bangs no. and all the rest of it. And, but, you know, it's clearly part of the process, yeah. <laughs> he has to do it. Yeah. So he bangs his head and then he's upset, so he cry. you know, he cries immediately. Now, what I've never been clear on is where, because it does seem like semantics a little bit, about at what point do you say, it's okay, it's okay, come on, you're fine. But in terms of the attuned parenting clearly you want to recognise that yeah I understand you're upset you know that of course you're upset you've banged your head it hurts and da 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 but then you also want to get to that point quite quickly where you want him to say look it's fine it's all good you know I've given you a kiss it's all better da 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 and let's move on so clearly if you just did that if you just went up to him and said come on you're alright nothing's wrong with you Rev just said fine <laughs> that would be I suppose dismissive of his feelings and his emotions which I don't want to do you want to acknowledge the emotion but you don't want to do you see what I mean? Yeah, in terms of the but I think you're describing beautiful, you know, attuned parenting there, which is trying to connect with the child, with your child on an emotional level mm. and kind of help label that for him and say, oh, you know, that's so, that's horrible, isn't it? That feels horrible to bang your hairs and poor you. Uh, but also to then encourage the autonomy and the independence and say, mm. oh, you're going to be all right. Mm. You know, you're so there have to be two stages to that response, don't there? There has to be the sort of the acknowledgement and then the... I don't know what the term would be, but the kind of helping him to move on from it. Mm. So, mm-hmm. so it's almost, it's, it's, that's always something I'm kind of aware of in those situations is trying to have that sort of two-stage response. Yeah, 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 I know, I know, it's horrible. Now let's move on from mm. it. There's different levels though, isn't there, also of, of when they bash themselves. Yes. Yeah. You know, because yeah. like if it's end of the day, Jackson's tired, you can tell, he goes into that sort of what I describe as a last sort of... F- 30 seconds of a boxing round of a boxer just taking a batter <laughs> you're not sure he's going to make it to the end he's slightly unsteady on his feet he's more likely to fall over he's a bit sh- quicker to, to tears yeah, but that's because he's, he's, knackered. he's tired yeah. and he's knackered and other times like he's racing yeah. around pushing his like little trolley and he crashes into and you're like oh but he doesn't even bat an eyelid yeah. Yeah, just keeps yeah. on keeps on going so yeah. there's I guess there's yeah you hold your breath and you wait for the tears yeah. and you wait for the scream oh hang on a minute you've yeah. got oh okay right, yeah. fine great marvellous yeah. Carry on. So it sounds yeah. like the, 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 it's not he's upset. Probably isn't. It's not a pain thing. Mm. It's a frustration. But then thing. I suppose the same rules apply, don't they? In the sense that you you don't want to dismiss that frustration. You no. want him to know that no, that's okay. You're frustrated. That's fine. Mm. But you yeah. know, don't be a dick about it. Yeah. yeah. And, that's, <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that, uh, that's my rather blunt way of putting it. But that um, that's kind of. How, yeah. how I sort of tend to view it is almost like okay yeah we're, we're acknowledging it you're okay but come on now like, it has to be a point doesn't get it get back on but the horse yeah. what I'm getting at I suppose is you couldn't as much as you want to acknowledge you want to make sure you acknowledge those emotions and make them understand those emotions you also don't want to validate bad behaviour 
in the sense that if he, if he's going and going and going, at some point you have to say, no, come on, that's enough now. You're okay. There's nothing really, you know, you're all right. Because hmm. I've seen that with other kids, you know, where the kids will just continue to scream and you. But at the point where you know that, well, look, there's no real problem now. Hmm. You've actually, now you're just looking for attention. So how do you? It's a, it's a where do you draw the line? Act, isn't it? Mm. And I suppose. Um, tricky on bad behaviours I'm not sure it depends doesn't it whether well, I'm not sure if I would call that bad no behavior. that's probably a bad choice of words but that, Just, I'm sure only, you take my point only, I totally take your point yeah, yeah. and I think because what I can hear you talking about is encouraging confidence in your child to carry mm. on mm. so you know rather than it's not so much that it's misbehaving exactly is it it's more that you don't want them to feel so upset and get yeah. stuck in that yeah yeah exactly yeah that's a better way of putting it explore. yeah exactly uh, so you're kind of in- encouraging them to see that actually this situation is safe yeah. which comes back a bit to this idea of you're sort of mirroring the emotion labeling the emotion but then not in such a way that you are also getting upset and mm. lying down the floor and screaming because that mm. would be you know that would be mirroring the emotion but in a really uncontained way <laughs> yeah. you might as feel much like as doing I sometimes, that sometimes yeah. I have considered it on Not several occasions yeah, yeah. Um, and I suppose the attention thing comes on to a slightly different realm mm. which um, is about kind of how much we reinforce behaviour with attention and again I think that is a bit of a balance but um it's certainly something that's worth being aware of that the kind of uh, most reinforcing or rewarding thing that we can do is to give intermittent uh, reward to, to a behaviour, so to sometimes reward it and sometimes not. So with tantruming, which is a little bit different from this situation where you're describing him getting upset mm. about kind of being hurt, but with sort of tantruming about kind of trying to get something that it's just not possible to get, for example, if we always reward that or or every so often reward that by kind of getting the thing that we don't want them to have that's the that's like crack basically mm. it's just really really addictive if for all of us if somebody goes hot and cold with a reward we really find that reinforcing so um the best thing we can do is to try and be really consistent so if yeah so okay so if we're like we're a bit off this, a bit far off this at the moment, but it's mm. like the ice cream, isn't it? It's like he gets to give them a bowl of ice cream. I want more ice cream. Well, no, you've had, you've had it. That's it. That's the, that's the end, the end of it. Whereas if you sometimes give them more, and sometimes it's like no more. That's what is that what you're talking about? The confusion. Yeah. For the well, child. well, even worse if you say no, and then you keep saying no, keep saying no, keep saying no, and but then they they keep crying, 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 and then you give them more because you're so you just can't cope. You know. You're at the end of your tether. Well, this is like sleep. This, we're getting into sort of the realms of what I just the sleep conversations that, yeah. that we've had about this kind of like um, cry, cry it out process. That yeah. you know where a child cries and cries and cries, and you just leave them in their cot and let them cry, mm. and then go. But then you go back to them, and then you leave them for a bit more, and then you go back to them, and then you leave them for a bit more, and then you go back to them. It's, it, it's it, you know, and there's obviously various schools of thought about whether there's, this works. There's so many different schools of thought yeah. on that, and I have I have to say, I haven't actually talked about sleep in the book at all. Mm. Um, but, but it's a similar sort it's, of it's thing, a similar, similar principle. principle isn't I think it? perhaps why people get so yeah. I mean, I have to say, I'm not an expert on that, so I no, shouldn't no, say no, that no, I am. No. But um, I think it's quite emotive, isn't it? Yeah. And I think. Mm. 
I think as well because parents are so tired. Because of, it's because of the time it happens. Yeah. It tends to be night when you're tired. Yeah. As it's well. awful. It's like torture. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it can be. It really, yeah. really and is. Sleep deprivation is a form of torture. Yeah, yeah. There's a reason so, for yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. It really, really is. One thing I wanted to ask you about, and I, I don't have the details to hand, which I probably should do, but I remember somebody telling Steve and I recently about a book. I can't remember if it was by some Japanese researchers. But the book that suggested... It was a, a pen, an, an older couple in America. An older couple in America. That what you do makes no difference. Yeah, to basically that parenting is is almost irrelevant. Now, oh, it, wow. it seems it seems fairly extreme, but the idea, and I, I keep meaning to find this book and I've dig got, it out. I've got it. Uh, oh, there yeah. you go. Well, yeah, we're, we're discovering all sorts on the podcast. Yeah. Steve's got the book. So, basically... It was, Bev, it was Bev Turner. That that's right. Bev Turner told us during, during a previous podcast that uh, this book suggests... They've done all this research around the globe in different situations, different societies, different environments, and actually, essentially, the conclusion is that however you parent a child, that that child will turn into the the human, the, the grown adult they were always going to be. That how was basically they, the idea. How do they measure that? That's a very good question, and yeah, one I have so not, I do not, <laughs> I do not know the answer to. But I think it comes down to there is a limit as a parent to how much you can alter. Your, if your ch- child's born with a certain person, there's a trajectory that, that child's on, and there's a limit to how much you can change the trajectory mm. of that child. That's I'm going to suggest. I presume you you wouldn't subscribe to that view. No, I I think we can influence mm. children quite a lot actually, mm. and I think the environments children are in influence them. And even there's this amazing stuff called epigenetics. I don't know if you've come across this. No, no. It's um, again really biological, and I got uh, a researcher called Charlotte Cecil to explain it to me in the book, and she describes it really well. But it's the idea that our genetics can be influenced by our environment. So our genes are expressed in different ways depending on which environments we're in. Okay. Which is really fascinating because there's always wow. been this debate about is it nature, is it nurture, yes. how much is it which way. Mm. And this kind of colours in that grey area so of so how it almost this combines the two, happens. doesn't it? Yeah, it says yeah, that the two actually like work the in conjunction. Yeah. For how it happens. So mm. it's really fascinating, I think. And it you know, they've done studies, for example, mm. with identical twins who start off with the same genetics. Yeah. But then later on, if you look at their ex- the expression of their genes, because they've been in different environments, the expression of their genes there is quite a, different. There was a famous example in the States, wasn't there, of triplets, oh. I think, and they were part of an experiment, and they were adopted, and their adopt. We've written about this on in the Mirror, and their adoptive parents weren't told that they were triplets. Oh. So they went to three different homes, right? And they didn't know that they had triplets. So presumably, they got the same exactly the same genetics, and three different environments. It was this the experiment on this very subject oh, about wow. how they were coming. It was very controversial when the, they I found bet. they so found out them, yeah. to, uh, uh, as an adult. So I think there's a documentary currently out about how oh, they wow. turned out. Yeah. one of them might have committed suicide ultimately but you know it's it's what what you what exactly what you say which is you know you can have people in different environments with the same you know opportunity or different opportunity Mm. and and, 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 you know we talk about from 
uh, a point of view where our kids are growing up in nice, warm, safe, middle-class mm. environments, giving them the best opportunity to mm. make of the raw materials that they have yeah. the best of, of it. Yeah. And then you might have a, a, a kid who grows up in some horrific circumstances, who broken home, you know, drugs and alcohol, you know, violence, that kind of stuff, doesn't get the same opportunities. But you know. Um, can sometimes you hear of people who come from these really having amazing lives mm. um, but mm. they seem to be the exception mm. but then this I suppose comes back to the, the where we started really in the sense of the nature versus nurture argument kind of where you've come down on that almost is where you come down on the importance of parenting isn't it because actually the nurture side of it is all about how you parent the child mm. and so if you believe that it's all nature then actually you're going to fundamentally believe that parenting isn't actually as important as all that other than to keep a child safe and well Mm. and yet you know I think actually the research shows that it's not just keeping a child I mean safety is really important Mm. and keeping a child's physical needs met is really important and some children don't even get that and that's really that's when really severe consequences Mm. happen but you know the quality of the connection that you have with a child and opportunities for play opportunities for learning language you know all the things you'll be doing these things without even thinking mm. about it but they're really crucial actually for for development mm. um so and even you know getting on to a more subtle level things like how we talk about gender expectations mm. with mm. our children how we label toys mm. you know that will all be shaping child development it's not to kind of that's not to layer on this kind of thick <laughs> thick layers of guilt and sort of you know you've got to watch everything you do it's yeah. not at all because if you're you know anyone listening to this podcast is thinking about that already mm. and you've got to let yourself off the hook at the same mm. time and one man one one man or one parent's perfection in inverted commas perfect parenting is going to be not the same as a, there isn't That's a true. as we constantly coming back to this on the podcast there isn't a perfect that we're all measuring ourselves mm. against it, it's it's so individual mm. what i'm curious about it, it is how we were parented did as children and our own experience of our relationship with parents does that you know do we pass how much of that do we pass on mm. to our our, our own kids because we hear stories of uh, you know kids who uh, have horrible things happen to them as children and then go on to be adults who do horrible things to uh, other children you know mm. rich and i come from family backgrounds like you know secure family environments you know mum and dad you mm. know together etc and and now we're sort of in similar yeah, environments for our kids is that do we pass on our parenting skills to our children mm. oh, there's a, like what we do with Ben and Jackson is it going to have an imp- impact on yeah. Yeah, when they have kids it's such a good kids. question because I mean yes and no which is very psychology type yeah. answer <laughs> but, um, you know yes because all of our experiences that we have as children help to shape mm-hmm. us as adults but I think we have room to look back and to think about whether we want it to be the same or different. Yes. So, you know, you can look back and think about how you were parented and make decisions. Yes. And, you know, you will talk to your partner and make decisions yeah. about, you know, what her background is of being parented and how you want to mm-hmm. do mm. this for yourselves. Yeah, we spoke to a guy earlier on today who we spoke about the same generation as us. When you were, when we were youngsters, get a clip around the back of it, ear, and, you know, 
smacked oh, get and some stuff. Slap on the legs or something. Yeah, you know, exactly. Like if you were and really, that's probably really not going to be passed on to our, our, our children. Not. You know, because smacking is really bad yeah, for children. Exactly. Actually, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's I not, won't be doing that. Yeah, that's that's yeah. something that, that won't be passed on. I yeah. guess, and that's what that, how you describe. Um, and Lucy, we what do we know about the the milestones or the points at which it's most key to focus on your behaviour around your children I presume adolescence is is important Mm. but is there anything younger points where are the younger points we should be looking out for I think well first two years are kind of really yep. crucial for c- developing that connection yep. um, so and even before the child's born helping your partner to be as relaxed as possible yep. really really important um, I don't think there's really a point where it's not important no but um, teenagers are interesting yep. because I think I think different things become important mm-hmm. I suppose at different times and um, teenage years, I think it's important to be able to try and have quite open conversations as much as possible mm-hmm. as your child is testing different things out. Um, so, you know, that's a real time when they're trying to develop their independence and trying out things that they just haven't tried out before, social dilemmas that are a bit of a minefield. Yeah. And we know that in adolescence, actually, the brain is doing an interesting thing where our social reward bits of the brain are on high alert so they're like Mm -hmm. really Mm -hmm. really into getting reinforced by peer reinforcement by your friends saying Mm -hmm. that they like what you do okay but your prefrontal cortex the bit of your brain that's involved in problem solving and in longer term planning is not yet fully developed until you're about 21 so that's a kind of so that's the reckless teenager yeah is that actually the sort of the brain science behind the stupidity of being a teenager well it's it's one of the challenges I think that teenagers face and yeah. so it's quite they need more help with problem solving than because they themselves might that, even realise because you've got all that irrationality that comes from social and peer pressure but you haven't yeah. got the capability yet to actually rationalise it and process it properly so you end so up so that's the old Masai Mara <laughs> warrior that gets sent off to kill the lion you know the, that there's some there's something in that of coming of age of going off to look after yourself and, and yeah. you know. well, and in a way, it sort of is rational. If you think, if you're being rewarded more for how your friendship group sees you mm. than for anything else, then that actually makes quite a lot of sense of a lot of teenage behaviour. I, mm. mm. um, I mean, some people disagree with that, and they think teenagers, you know, that's more of a stereotype, and that it's more socially constructed than that, and that actually they're doing new things, and we should just give them a break. But I think it's probably a mix of both. Mm. I, d- I do worry that actually my view of teenagers. I'm going to have to adapt my view of teenagers over the next ten years because I have I have a pretty negative view of te- you know I'm I am the classic grumpy middle aged man sort of grumbling about you? bloody, no. bloody teenagers <laughs> as I walk down the street and there's some oh. hoodlums hanging around which is terrible I, I don't, think I they don't have want, a rough time I, I, yeah. I completely agree and it's almost like that kind of default setting and I have to kind of tell myself off occasionally to just do you know what they're probably really nice yeah actually <laughs> most I think the stereotypes of yeah, teenagers yeah, you know, is this kind of hug a hoodie type thing but yeah. actually most teenagers if you think about teenagers you know do you know what I had, I had an, exa- an example getting off the bus uh, the other day I was coming down the stairs and there was a kid there and he looked you know your archetypal teenager hood up like headphones on and all that and I almost kind of got my heckles up you know kind of ready to sort of just out of my way young man sort of thing and actually as he, as he got to the bottom of the stairs he looked at me oh sorry mate let me get out of your way and he moved out the- oh, <laughs> and nice. I felt so bad I thought god damn I've done it again I've just decided that teenagers are awful and he's clearly a nice kid anyway um, I appreciate we're, we're sort of breaching our, mm. our time a lot of this, some of this, uh, well, some of this sounds like what I describe as common sense. In, <laughs> yeah. In, in, yeah. Would it be as you're parenting, you 
you'll be aware is it about being aware as a parent of what's going on in your life and in child's life so it's we were thinking Jackson's going to have a little sister that's going to be quite a traumatic bit on his world so maybe we'll focus we pay attention to that Jackson moved up to big nursery from small nursery that's going to be a bit traumatic in his life if one of us changes jobs there's going to be some potentially stress in the house you know perhaps focus on them if there's a bereavement pay attention Mm. to the child at that point if you move house It is those sorts of things that you know as you're a parent going forward sounds like common sense but mm. is that is that right that we you know you you, you focus on those bits because we those can moments, see them yeah. they're the bumps mm. in the road we can see I think it's certainly really helpful to look out for points of change and transition because mm. I think all of us are actually really bad at coping with change whenever anyone says to me oh so is really bad at coping with change it always sort of makes me smile to me who's good and even uh, there's a chapter in the book about identity which talks about how even positive change can be quite stressful so it's not that it's kind of awfully traumatic and terrible mm. but you know even if you think about as an adult kind of getting a promotion winning the lottery or, yeah, well, loads of examples yeah, of people isn't there that have meltdowns after yeah, winning the lottery that's true. Yeah, yeah. even so positive events you know getting married that kind of thing it, it can be something you really want to happen but it can still be really really stressful and it can oh, yeah. still sometimes shake your sense of identity mm. as well so particularly when a child's growing and developing and you know still growing into their sense of who they are those points of transition definitely mm. really important to be just making extra sure you're connected and helping the child feel safe and time. secure it's time again isn't it it's always time what I find mm. in these podcasts so much of it comes down to having time or spending time mm. to be aware of what's going on to form those bonds to look out for you know whether it be your partner you're looking out for your partner and from it's it's time isn't it it's the, yeah. the commodity that the most yeah, precious you can't, the one you can't buy mm. unfortunately as they always say for me it's always about the um the the it's almost like the thing I'm reminded every time we talk to someone like you, Lucy, is that you've got to stop beating yourself up. Mm. And actually, because it is so easy to feel, you know, we, everything we've talked about there could be construed as added pressure or added added oh, opportunities yeah. for, for guilt. But actually, that's not the case at all, is it? As no, you said, really a lot of it is is, is how you choose to, to look at it. And actually, a lot of it could be, well, these are positive opportunities. Yes, mm. there are opportunities to mess your child up if you do some really stupid stuff. But if you actually look at it in from the optimistic perspective, then actually there are all these opportunities there to teach your child how to cope with emotions, how to process emotions, how to deal with difficult feelings, mm. all these things. So um, that's that's clearly what, that's definitely what I'm going to take away from it. Yeah. It's been very interesting. Thank you very much Thank you for coming on. It's really, really interesting. I think the book's definitely worth a read. To remind you all, folks, I'm holding it here. It is Blueprint, How Our Childhood Makes Us Who We Are by Dr. Lucy Maddox. Um, so, yeah, actually making science nice and relevant to people like us. Yeah. <laughs> who are definitely not scientific people. Well, no. 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 We're learning, though. We? Every, learning. every week there. we learn a little bit more, don't we? I um, hope you enjoyed that. Um, please do uh, share your thoughts in the comments section on uh, whichever platform you're listening to. It helps other people find us. Um, and subscribe, tell your mates down the pub, um, put it on your social media. Um, and let us know what you think, first time dads at trinitymirror.com. Um, and we look forward to you joining us on the next episode. Lovely. Thanks very much, everybody. See you next time. <laughs>